sit on this side? Oh, yeah, sure. I don't know why. <laughs> Is it a feng shui? Uh, I feel like I'm on the desk of oh, yeah. the night show. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Well, you're about to not be interviewed that well. Okay. Um, wow. First of all, thank you so much for joining us today on this. And this is about as professional as I'll ever sound because we never, this is a conversation. It's not a fucking interview. All right. So, wow, we met, and I got to tell you, you're in the Richard Pryor documentary. Uh -huh. Very importantly in the Richard Pryor documentary. And I got to tell you, when I sat there, and maybe I told you this when we were having lunch with Benetta, who's also on the show, by the way. Whenever you were in the movie and I had to write music in any of these scenes, it was so fucking easy to just <laughs> stay out of the way. I got to tell you, your stories and, and the way that you come off and the obvious love and respect that I feel coming from you and just matter of fact, no bullshit delivery of stories. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I was listening to my old man talk about <laughs> one of the artists he worked with and I just said, I got to meet this guy. I mean, I literally, I didn't know that we knew anybody in common, in common yeah. and Benetta sees the documentary and you know he's you know everyone has their thoughts about it but he said you know I know Rocco and I said well we're having lunch with him and it happened and I was it was right it was, it was great. at the Malibu kitchen right yeah right. and then we were joined by some tennis pro guy like some guy just walked up to you oh remember? Malcolm yeah but he just seemed to see like the town yeah, yeah. character he's, he's, you know? yeah he's just he's, yeah yeah it's pretty random but um I, you know, we started, Charlie and I, my partner Charlie and her and I started doing this thing and, and, and I said, what, what a perfect person to speak to. Charlie and I are, and we were talking about this just a couple minutes ago, like, there are musicians that are really in love with, you know, all things other than music. I'm one of them. I'm a sports freak. I'm a comedy freak. Like mm -hmm. I was saying, like, my dad raised me on Laurel and Hardy, Nat Hiken, you know, Sid Caesar, you know. Mm -hmm course none of my friends knew who any of these people were right but I figured why on earth would I not speak to someone and get the background on someone that that worked with Richard Pryor and George Carlin and very close sort of creative and technical I mean you're directing things with and for them and right. writing with them right how the hell did you get into this lovely business of ours? <laughs> Wide open question. <laughs> well, um, um, I'm from Cleveland. Nice. And uh, I guess I owe a lot of this to uh, a guy named Woody Frazier. Okay. When I went to work at a television station in Cleveland, I was in high school, and I was a uh, budding graphic artist, art director. And I got a job working at night at this local station. And I would work at night and I would prepare artwork and various things for the 11 o'clock news and also the early morning show in the morning with a guy named Ernie Anderson and the producer was Tim Conway. Get out. No. Get out. No, it's true story. Okay, don't get out, but that's amazing. Yeah. So. They started this local talk music variety show called The Mike Douglas Show. Oh, I'm a Philly guy, so... Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I wound up um, doing graphics for the show and got to know Woody and all these guys very well. Yeah. And they took a liking to me. Oh, great. Um, so that was my first exposure to 
musical variety and comedy, even though I was a fan as a kid. So just quickly to interrupt, what what's the time frame here? What is this, or this late is, 50s uh, or late mid 60s? Mid 60s, uh, okay. Yeah, somewhere in there. Okay, mid 60s in Cleveland, all right. Uh, wow. Because I did a short stint in the Army and I came back. Okay. But uh, what happened was uh, I got this exposure to this live element of music and comedy, and I was a huge fan, kid growing up, of the variety shows, in particular, uh, Jackie Gleason. Oh, the best. And I was a huge fan of his and Ernie Kovacs. Oh, yeah. I mean, those two probably cemented my, my passion to do something. Yeah. And I didn't know it was going to be. And then when Laugh-In hit, mm. it also generated uh, a certain amount of energy. And if you'd have told me many years later, I would have not only worked with Lily Tomlin and mm. won an Emmy with her. Nice. I would have told you you were nuts. Right. So I don't know, man. Here's yeah. All, yeah. Here's how I know. <laughs> I, I used to watch Pryor and Carlin on Merv Griffin and do my homework. Wow. <laughs> so I, I don't know how things happen. But here's what happened. I got out of the Army. Uh, Woody was now in... Los Angeles, and he was doing the last hurrah of Steve Allen. Right. And he hired me for the summer. And for some reason, Steve took a liking to me. Great. And in fact, you have time, I'll tell you a quick story. Go, d tell it right away. Steve used to like to warm up the audience. And he came to me and said, look, I want you to, to interrupt me during my warm up and ask me how my new boat is. And I go, okay, so I'm going to ask you about your new boat. And you're going to tell, and I'm going to tell you I don't have a new boat. Right. But I'm not going to give you the punchline till now. So here it is. Steve, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Rocco, I'm talking to the audience. I'm sorry, Mr. Allen. No, no, it's okay since you interrupted me. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Rocco or BC, one of my <laughs> producers and writers. What, what do you want, Rocco? Oh, I'm sorry. I just want to know about your new boat. He said, I don't have a new boat. I said, Jane says you have a new boat. I said, I don't have a new boat. She said you're getting a little dingy. Uh. Yes. <laughs> moan, moan, moan. <laughs> terrible, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> but purposely done to get a moan. Right. So one day I decided to change it. And I said, hey, Steve, how's your new ranch? Oh. He said, I don't have a new ranch. I have a boat. And I said, that's funny. Jane said you're getting a big spread. <laughs> moan, moan, moan. He comes back and says, tomorrow we go back to boat. Yeah. <laughs> but on that show, I was booking Pryor and Carlin and Steve Martin. Yeah. And the David Brenner and all those guys. Ugh. And Steve, of course, had the Burls and, you know, the Shaky right. Greens. Of the right, 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 right. But that marriage was kind of really cool. Yeah. And then what happened was I met a girl who was the booker who called me up later and said, look, I'm doing a pilot called The Midnight Special. Wow. So I went and did the pilot, because they, they, they actually were so off the charts in terms of acts, mm. that, and I'm a music freak by nature who does comedy. You're a, I'm a sort of a music guy that is obsessed with comedy. There you yes. go. So we do the pilot, we do the series, and I book George Carlin, and Richard Pryor to be the host. 
and it was at this event that I met Richard. Right. He hosted the show. Uh, for some reason, we got along really great, even though I was a little intimidated. Sure. And then Saturday Night Live went on the air, and I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. And I had to do something, something equally as important, because I hated Lorne Michaels and all those people. They were so fucking funny and yeah, good, yeah. right? In a good way, I hate Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Motivation to Yeah, the, so, they mo so they motivated me. It's like the Beach Boys to the Beatles. Exactly. You know? So I'm, I go to the comedy store every night, and I became friends with Letterman then, because he was right. the host. I later did a pilot with Letterman and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll tell you about that later. <laughs> that never got picked up. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I hang out, I hang out, and blah, 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 and, you know, and Peter O'Toole comes to see the show, and Sugar Leonard comes to see the show, and Robin's hanging out. That's how I meet Robin. And we're all hanging out. And one night, after seeing me hang around like a groupie for a month, he says to me, Motherfucker, what do you want? <laughs> Yeah. I said, would you do a, 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 a TV special? He said, go sell it. Yeah. So I went to my old boss, Bert Sugarman, yeah. who was the exec producer. Oh, right, yeah. I brought him the idea. He took it to Dick Ebersol. Yeah. Of course, became the president of sure. NBC Sports. Of everything, yeah. And we did a special. But the, 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 the deal of the special was I could not be the producer because I had no producing credits. Mm-hmm. And I almost didn't do the, almost didn't do it. I was so upset. I'm right. reading in the Variety all the producers that are hired. Right. One of them was Jim Brooks. Oh wow. Not a bad choice. Not yeah. And the guy named Ed Weinberger who had done the Mary Tyler Moore. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Heavy. Yeah. Uh, but I, and a guy named uh, Ellison, Bob Ellison, who was a head writer. Now, I wanted all these guys to die because. <laughs> This is my fucking idea, yeah. right? <laughs> exactly. So you're talking about incidents. I'm walking on the lot of Universal Studios at one in the morning after just completing the edit of a pilot I did called the American Flyer, mm. which was a 2020-type format Okay. that was hosted by Dan Rowan of Laugh-In, mm. Michelle Lee, and Tom Selleck, the house band was the Pointer Sisters, and the two roving reporters were comedy with David Letterman and sports with Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they hated it. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm sitting here trying hard not to interrupt you, saying, why the fuck aren't there things like that now? I, I don't know. Okay, I, I, we're, we're not going to get into that no. at all, because but it's great that it existed, yeah. and they hated it, they which hated is it. even no, better. Universal MCA hated it. Great. Of in course. fact, they stuck us at the end at the Nappy Convention, at the uh, Nappy Convention, which used to be a syndicated convention. Yeah. They stuck us in a room, me and yeah. my partner, at the end of the hall. Yeah. And two or three people show up, and one person is sitting there laughing his ass off. Yeah. And he gets up, he says, "You kids did something really cool, but you're ahead of the curve." Right. He said, you know what, you're a little ahead of the curve for me too, but take my card. I take his card, I go in, the, in my uh, hotel room, drinking my sorrows. Yeah. I pack the next day, I take the card, before I throw it away, I look at it and it says, Ted Turner. Oh. <laughs> I had no idea. He has a boat. Yeah, he has a boat. <laughs> so not knowing who the fuck Ted Turner was, uh, I threw it away through a basket. Oh. So anyway. There's a beauty to that too, though. I'm, dry, I'm walking a lot. Here comes a limousine. The window rolls down. It's Pryor. He's doing some post-audio post, post audio work. Right. And he says, man, why aren't you doing a special? I said, man, why don't you 
you know, fuck everybody. I came up with the idea. He said, just do the goddamn special. Right. Just do the goddamn right. special. Now, by, by do it, direct it or, or I'm write I'm going to be a writer, me. a head okay. writer. Okay. Just write the damn thing with right. me and don't worry about it. I said, it's, it's politics. Yeah. Just do it. Yeah. I said, okay. So I call up my agent. I become the head writer with Alan Thicke. Whoa. Who is, of course, yeah. Raman's father. Yeah, yeah. And I'm introduced to a guy named Paul Mooney. Oh, I love Paul, yeah. Paul Mooney and I write the special. Yeah. We literally do. Yeah. The whole thing was incredibly insane. Belushi did it. But here's the thing that endeared Richard to me, and vice versa. Mm. I walked into him and I said, I have an idea to book the Pips. He said, you mean Gladys Knight and the Pips? I said, no, just the Pips. <laughs> Doing Midnight Train to Georgia. He fucking roared. And of course... <laughs> of course, nothing. Did. It became... It's so classic. Yeah, it it's became... so classic. I had no idea at the time. Yeah. <clears throat> well, no, it's just that, you know, it makes me yeah. laugh. Let's try it. It's yeah. fucking hysterical. Yeah. So then uh, the special went on. It got big ratings. Mm. And then the series got picked up for 13. Right. What do I do now? And I became the producer. Yeah. And my contract that my wonderful agent at the time, Debbie Alarm, did at Moya Morris... <clears throat> if the special gets picked up for series, Rock was the sole producer. Wow. But even at that, they tried to screw me around. I'm good friends with a guy named John Moffat, very talented guy. He's done incredible things. And I took him to lunch, and I said, look, John, I, I'm going to be the sole producer of this show, mm. and it has n nothing to do with disrespect. I, I earned it. Mm. And he said, Rock, I'm cool with being co-producer and director. And of course, he was represented by Bernie Brillstein at the time, oh, wow. yeah. who wanted to kill me. Of course. Oh, you'll never work in the business again, kid. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just reminded me. Of so um, uh, it was me and then um, Mooney. Mm. And we hired all these incredibly great writers. And we brought David Banks in because I don't think anybody could make Richard laugh more than David Banks. Uh, so he was, funny. Too. He was just a source of wonderful material and. We went on, did the show, and of course, um, then comes the controversial naked opening. Yeah. And I'll tell you how that came about. You want me to just keep rolling here? Yeah, man. This, please. This is a conversation. So here's how the naked opening came about. We wanted to do something on the series that would indicate that Richard somehow would have to sell out right. in order to be is the star of a variety show in prime time right. because of sponsors. The first idea that Paul and Richard and I came up with was Frankenstein in which a white body would be brought into Frankenstein's den and Richard's body would be brought in, brought in and they would transpose their brain thoughts and their mannerisms so Richard would talk like a white guy Yeah. And, of course, the white guy would sound like Richard. Yeah. And that was funny for about a week. Right. And then one night I was watching, there was, there was a, um, a guy named Ernest Ainsley. Okay. And I called up Richard and said, we know we should do this guy. And he said, you want me to do a white minister? I said, no, but you should do something like this. And he said, that turned out to be Bojaws, by the way. Oh, Bojaws. That's best. where Bojaws came from. That Bojaws handled it. But he said, look, I have an idea for the opening. 
And I said, what is it? She said, can you get me someone to make me look like a mannequin? <laughs> and I start laughing already. Yeah, right? How can you not? Yeah. So I don't know if you remember the opening or the audience does, but the opening was um, chest to head. Richard says, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Richard Pryor Show. A lot of people say, Richard, if you do television, you have to give up everything. That's crazy. I'm standing here naked, head to toe, no genitalia. Yeah. I've given up absolutely nothing. Yeah. Okay. The night that show, the day that show was going to air, I got a call from Bert Sugarman saying that NBC is going to edit out the naked opening. Mm. And I said, who approved this? He said, Richard. No, no way in life. I call him yeah. up. They set me up really good. Oh, I'm sure. Say, I'm a kid. Yeah. They, they did a real good job. Yeah. But what they didn't realize was that he would quit. Yeah. So I would get fired. Yeah. So I called him up and said, I can't believe, man, you, you're going to cut out the opening. He says, what the fuck, fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And oh. of course, the explosion. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And we had to finish. We only had three other scripts written. Right. So we finished uh, four completed. Right. And it was very tough. Yeah. Because the atmosphere was, that you was know, really toxic. It was hard. Yeah. But we did do the next four. and. Uh, but the reaction to that, you know, the, the, the cl show closing with the prison, you know, yeah. the, the bars was, closing was, and that, the lion and the... That was designed you know. because his reputation was he never would show up. Right. Well, in all fairness, sometimes he didn't. He didn't. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, so we des he, he came up with that also. Yeah. But the irony of the naked openings, here they cut it out of primetime TV, yeah. and it's on every major news network across America. Right, so you including can't. Including Walter Cronkite. <laughs> so you can't get better, you know, publicity no. and ratings. And, no. You know. um, wow. You know. It's, this seems like a thing that just has repeated and repeated and repeated, you know, like networks and network, network executives. Like, well, you art know. and commerce don't get along. No, no, and they never have. And yeah. we hate each other. Yeah. You know, but we need each other. Right. You know, uh, you know, they, <clears throat> you know, they know we can't survive without them. Right. And they know they can't do anything without us. Right. So. And it never works. <laughs> And at the first opportunity to fuck us, they will. Yeah. And I think artists in general only want to have their voice heard. Right. I think in shows where people are fortunate to get a series or, or whatever they get to do, right. there's a lot of compromise in that. Well, yeah, I was going <clears> to <throat> say, I know, and it seems really unfortunate that what's happened, and it's really in the last, it, it just seems like the holy grail for all comedians is to get a sitcom mm -hmm. and, and just like and and i i even remember, and listen i know you worked with carlin for forever when he got his show on fox did you work on his fox no show? he hated it by the way he should have yeah you know why because they did not if you're going to do a show with the one thing i'll say about the prior show is we did not design the show right prior the show was designed out of prior sensibilities right Everything that came out of the show was an extension of his, his voice, yeah. his anger, yeah. 
his passion, um, his observation, yeah. and truth. Yeah. That thing that we did um, where they find the elixir of life in the cave with Jimmy Martinez and, uh, yeah. and Robin. And, yeah. um, and he starts reading about, you know, he's the only black uh, uh, um, uh, uh, Sounds like. <laughs> uh, um, I don't know the bit. Yeah. So. Anyway, they, they're, they're, they're part of this thing in Egypt uh, uh, trying to, they're like with National Geographic. Right. <clears throat> and Jimmy Martinez and Robin and, and Richard come upon this cave hidden behind leaves and they pull it away and they open it up and they walk and it's the, supposedly the tomb of King Tut. Right. And Richard finds this book and he opens it up and he starts reading about the first people on earth were black. Right. And Cleopatra was black. Right. And he wants to spread the word to the world that black is the first color on earth. Right. That God was black. And, and as he's talking, they seal him in the tomb. <laughs> That's great. So, <laughs> That's per well, and he also had the bit about seeing Logan's run and, and saying, like, you know, there's the, well, I'm going to say, there's no black people in it. And he's like, yeah, because they don't plan on having any black people in the future. Exactly. So he would go in any yeah. direction with yes. these themes yes. and always nail it. And, you know, and, and well, listen, I'm not going to belabor the point that Carlin Shaw and Fox wasn't great. You know, in order for it to be great, it has to be him. If, well, if it's not him, how can it be, you know? Well, you're right. You they wrote a sitcom and cast him. Yeah, that's, you know. And you he's, the, he's the quirky neighbor, you know, like, you know. You, you got to have his voice. Yeah. I was really, you know, listen, you, I can't, I remember whenever an HBO special, and whenever a Carlin HBO special was coming up, my old man was friends with him. You know, they, mm -hmm. they were friendly. They, they worked at, mm -hmm. you know, he was, I think he was on ADCO. His, he was on a Probably. part of the Atlantic group. Mm -hmm. And my yeah. father was a producer at Atlantic. Yeah. Anytime they hung out, great times. Very similar guys, you know, similar political viewpoints. You know, obviously Carlin could voice his right. viewpoints a little better. But, you know, it was an event in my household when Carlin had a special. And I noticed as they went along... He, he's the only, and I'll make a sports analogy, his fastball got faster and faster and faster. He never lost oh. his fastball. He's like Satchel Paige. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it was ridiculous. That's a very good, uh, a very good observation. But the, the thing about Richard and George uh, for me was um, they, they work totally differently. Yeah. Uh, my girlfriend Marina said something to me once. We were having a discussion about this, and I said, yeah, <clears throat> I feel very fortunate, lucky that I, I work with two of the greatest comedians. And she said, yeah. you know, Richard trusted you because you were young and innocent. George trusted you because you weren't. Yeah, wow. And I think that's a really good observation. That is really. Because, come on, I was 23, 24 years old. I was in a candy store. Yeah. I'm producing Richard Pryor in primetime TV. And I, right. and, and I would have to say, looking back at my career now, I probably wasn't as good as producer as I am now, right. but my but my but my energy or thought process hasn't changed. Right. You know, I still believe that you know that there is Tinkerbell somewhere, right? <laughs> right. But I I in switching to George, and I I can tell you how and why this happened. Mm. I booked George on 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 several shows, and his brother. Mm. I hired his brother as a writer. Yeah. And while I wasn't friends with George on a friendly basis, we would run into each other. Yeah. 
right after I did uh, prior, I did a thing called From Cleveland with SCTV, and then I did Excuse Lily. Excuse me? You worked on SCTV? I worked with them, yeah. I did a pilot called uh, From Cleveland. Oh, okay. It, it was part of that. Yeah. One of my favorites, but the SCTV itself. Oh, yeah, they're great guys. It's the, Dave Thomas. and The, the best. Guys. Yeah. That, that's and, what... Uh, Catherine O'Hara. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's like, for me, honestly, 10 years old, one in the morning, shouldn't be up, that SCTV, was, yeah. that was it for me. That I, Perry Como thing remains a classic. So amazing. Alive. I mean, it's just. It's, it's one of the classic bits in ever. Oof, heavy. So, anyway, so you're. So, it was after Lily. I'm driving down Wilshire Boulevard and the Wadsworth Theater, said yeah. Carl, George Carlin. Yeah. I bought a ticket. Now, I hadn't seen George in. What, since you had him on the. Maybe six, seven years. Right. And I went to the Wadsworth, I saw the show, and I went backstage to say hello. Mm. He pulls me out in the hallway. He said, Well, you want to do my next HBO special? Get out. No. That's great. And I said, yeah. <laughs> so we wound up a thing called Playing With Your Head. Yeah, of course. With the black and white opening. Absolutely, that yeah. That was shot actually on 35 millimeter film. Really? That's great. Yeah. And we did the special. And after I saw the special, I, he was very happy. And I went to him. I said, you know, I may have done you a disservice in a way. He said, why? Uh. I said, you know, we shot the whole thing on film. And I think stand-up doesn't belong on film. Uh, it, belongs, yeah. it belongs on tape because right. it's a live medium. Right. So I just wanted to say that to you. I wound up doing nine more. <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the most, the most fun was when we went live. Yeah, that's got to be. I, I had mean... never directed live before in my life. I yeah. hired my ex-girlfriend, who was directing Conan at the time in New York. Oh, wow. To, who, what's her name? Liz Planka. Okay, yeah. To do a, to AD for me. Okay. And she did. Even though she won, she still had the knife in my back, <laughs> she did it for me. <laughs> she wants me. to work with Carlin, though, yeah. And I, and I always love her for that. She got me through the rough spots. Yeah, and, um, that's great. And we did the first live, it was, and it was nerve-wracking for me. But after the first 10 minutes, I mean, it was like second nature. Yeah. The beauty of directing George for me was that I never blocked the show. I blocked mm. the opening and the closing. Right. And I almost felt like... And I hate to say this, blocking just to, you know, just because there are people that are listening to this that are musicians and they barely can feed themselves. Um, what is blocking? <laughs> oh, blocking would be that at a certain point in your routine, I would have cameras already set up to cut to you. Right, okay. I tried that on the Doesn't rehearsal. Work. Right. And it was a train wreck. Right. And because everybody said, you have to block the show, you have to block the show. And I go, I'm not going to block the show. I'm going right. to wing the show. I got the job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing the opening, closing. I'm going to wing the goddamn thing. Yeah. And everybody just go with me. Yeah. And the reason I, I did that is because. George dictated pace, not me. No, exactly. That's brilliant. I don't, I don't dictate pace. Right. The comedian dictates pace. Right. So I just had to be on my toes. I knew the routine. Yeah. Just to know when it was the proper time to go to some camera right. to heighten his routine. Yeah. It's not important what the director does. Yeah. It's important what the director sees right. and follows. Right. 
And I did all yeah, this. In a way, it doesn't do. You know what no. I mean? It's like, hey, it's a reactionary thing. I'm in a reactionary yeah. position. Yeah. I'm not out to say, oh, what a great job I did directing. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, I'm out, to, I'm out to capture a great show done by an amazing artist yeah. who works so differently than Richard. Richard was a visceral person. Yeah. George is totally cerebral. Yeah. Yeah, and you can you really get a sense of Lily that. Lily Tomlin that. is cerebral. Yeah. See? Yeah. Whoopi's part cerebral part. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. So you you learn to have these these your relationships with these people based on who they are before you know and are respective of what they do. Yeah. You gotta really That's, know them. Yeah. And they have to trust you. How long did it take for Carlin to trust? I mean, did he trust you immediately? Like, you know... We're both... We're both look, Richard and I and, and George, we grew up on the streets. Yeah, so... We're street people. Yeah. We don't... We don't... We don't fuck around. Yeah. We tell you what and, we think. And, and, you know, and listen, and we were talking earlier, we were waiting for the theater to be open, and we were... You know, it's funny. I thought of a thing, like, I saw you in the dock, and I thought of the following thing. My friend Stuart Levine, also from your generation... You guys were raised by and come from a generation when the certain kind of cats, they just give it to you straight in the Absolutely. eyes. You know, and, and to me, it, it's so important to capture stories from people like that and just have that. That, it, to me, is kind of a vanishing thing. The, 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 in, in this day and age, you know, and we don't have to belabor this. I'm just saying, like, it's great to hear stories told a specific way in a non-bullshit manner so people can actually be like, oh, so... You know, I don't know. I just think it's the, the in the Kardashianification of our culture. I understand? You're, it's it, there's 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 a you know there's just not a lot of it. So you know, guys like you, you know, it's a it's a specific place in time in the American experience, and I think it's something that's vanishing. Or at least I like to think I I do the same thing. But well, I would hope that. Um... You know, there's a wonderful movie this year called Nebraska. I haven't seen it. I know it's incredible. And the reason I love that movie so well is it's so simple. Right. The storyline is really simple. And basically, when you look at, at what you're going to do, in its simplicity, you know, you look at the simplicity of it. Mm. First, it's complicated enough. <laughs> you don't have to add complication before you do anything. Yeah. What are we doing? And it's very simple. Well, with people who are so incredibly talented, mm. who bring so much to you, mm. that is something that you can't take for granted. No. You have to nurture that. And you have to, you have to what I call, not cater to them. Because mm. that's the worst thing you can do. Mm. But you have to be direct and you have to be honest and it's not about you, mm. and it's not about them. <laughs> it's about the finished product. Mm. Ultimately, the goal is what's good for the show is ultimately good for the artist mm. and good for me. Right. The yeah. ego is the show. Right. You have to service that first. Right. If everything is just about me, 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 yeah. Then you got a me kind of thing. Well, I always say, you know, there's certain, you know, uh, in, in a musical sense, it's like, you know, your scale goes do re me, and yeah. it's, yeah, we're yeah. out of business. You yeah, know? and yeah, it's a drag. But you know, to to think, and to get back to maybe a little more Carlin, a little more Richard, like, you know, those two personalities so different, 
I mean, were, were they were they tight at all? Were they friends? I, I get a sense they may not have been. No. Yeah. They weren't close friends. But then right. George wasn't. George was very, very private person. Yeah. In the twenty-four years, God Almighty, twenty-four years. Yeah. Ten shows over 23, 24 years. Mm. I think we may have dinner once or twice, a lunch once in a while. Really? A phone call once in a while. But I think that was good. Right. Because you may have been informed by some... You don't... It isn't that I wouldn't... If you're hanging with a guy every day, yeah, and then you're working with him... Right. Uh, you know, respective of, of everybody's privacy mm. and allowing people space. I also think that, you know, I, I hung with Richard quite a bit right. after. Right, right. No longer working together. Yeah, we hung out a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's, I think that's okay. I, listen, I've known, I've known Lily Tomlin as equal amount of time. Yeah. We just work together, hopefully work together in the future. Once a year, we'll get an, e an email, mm. a phone call, how you doing. I think that that keeps whatever the minutiae continuing, yeah, whatever's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, or the momentum. Yeah. But I must say, I went to school mm. with Carlin yeah. and Pryor yeah. and Lily. Yeah, they good. took me to school. Yeah, I learned uh, everything. MIT. Yeah, yeah, I learned everything. I, I between those three wonderful artists yeah. and their gifts, I'm, I'm prepared. <laughs> yes, yeah, you're a Boy Scout, and I'm and I'm grateful, and I'm yeah. I'm always grateful. Yeah, I really am always grateful. I don't know why me, but it was me, and thank God it was me. Yeah, but, wow. <laughs> well, I, you know, we were when we were speaking earlier. I, I was I did want to bring up the fact that it's like. You know, another reason to speak with you is that, you know, there to me there's three titans in comedy. You and you said everyone starts with Lenny Bruce. I actually, I, I do agree with that. Lenny's the guy. You know, I, I always sort of say like Lenny's Charlie Parker. You have to you put know, him number one. Richard Pryor's Miles Davis, and I think George Carlin's John Coltrane. You know, yeah, or, or me, you know, or Monk. You know, what I mean, not you know, bad. Not bad at all. <laughs> um, but to speak to with someone like you about that, as opposed to like you know. When I'm talking with friends of mine, you know, peers or other musicians or producers, it's one thing to go to the source and, and talk to someone that worked with these guys. And, you know, you know, it's another thing when you're just talking to fans. Like, you knew these guys and you worked with them and you saw how their process. Um, Maybe I can I relate mean, this to you. Okay, yeah, go for it. You're, Don't make a Doobie Brothers. <laughs> Come a little heavier. <laughs> I'm, I'm your guitar player. Yeah. Your lead guitar player. And in the course of the head chart, whatever we're doing. Yeah, it's going through the chart. I come up with an eight-bar lick that nobody thought or thought of, and I came up with it. Right. And you spark to it. Right. And you go, God damn, man, that's good. Yeah. That's you as Pryor or Carlin or Lily, and that's me yeah. as the writer. Right. The writer. It's the same thing. It's the licks that you come up with, the extra licks, mm. the little tasty things that can make it better. Right. It's not important that I have the idea. Mm. I don't care about that. I, in fact, I would say, I would say to you, I would venture to say to you, 
in a session of musicians where everybody's playing and working out things, I defy you after a period of time for somebody to say, hey, that was my sole idea. Right. Right? Right. That's, it's collaborative. Right. It's getting to where you need to be and the journey together to get where you want to be right. <clears throat> based on everybody contributing their art and working in an atmosphere where art is accepted. Right. Richard said this, the first day of writing, mm. I don't want anybody to edit themselves. Mm. Say whatever you have to say. Right. And a guy named Jeffrey Barron, a writer, said, I have an idea call, uh, for a sketch called Dunk the Darkie. <laughs> and the fucking room exploded oh, yeah. with laughter. <laughs> and Richard said, this is the healthiest form of racism. Yeah. What he said by what he meant by that was that was a, what Jeffrey did. Yeah. He took the, the top off the bottle. Yeah. And everything came out, and we were open. Right. He had the balls to do that. Yeah. And we loved him for that. It's amazing. I mean, especially in that time frame, you know, based on yeah. what you know sort of led into that. You know, I. It's funny, I. As much as I love Richard Pryor, I okay. So I'll just. When I was a kid, and I discovered Richard, it was a really important moment for me. And I, I'll tell you, like, R Richard Pryor, listening to Richard Pryor, and inappropriately so, like maybe at eight or nine years old, listening to his records, I have to say I learned more about racism, race relations, I issues of, you know, like, it just, it blew me away. Now, granted, I probably heard a ton of things I probably shouldn't have heard at that age, but I remember taking such a violent opinion, such a strong stance when Eddie Murphy blew up and all my friends that like, they were all 12 and they were like, you know, oh, you have to watch Delirious. Oh, you have to. And I'm like, no, you have to watch Lyra's Sunset Strip. You have to watch. Are you kidding me? Yeah. He's not saying anything. This guy yeah. will make you think. What are you doing? And, I, you know, to me, I think he gets forgotten in a sense of being a real he was a real voice, maybe even un, like a, maybe he didn't mean to be, but he was really a voice in a way in the civil rights movement, more so than maybe he thought so, or maybe he didn't want to take that, you know, uh, re uh, excuse me, responsibility on. But I'm telling you, I learned more. I learned what not to say from I, him. I think I think Richard's great talent was um, he made race he made race more of an awareness. Yeah. Than an issue. Right. It was already an issue. Yeah. There was no issue to, to dwell on. Right. An awareness, a greater awareness right. of why it's an issue. Yeah. And a greater awareness why it shouldn't be. Yeah. Um, I think came from a place because you're talking about a guy that was raised in a brothel. Yeah. And his mother was the trick. Yeah. And when we shot Jojo Dancer, we went to the place, to the venue, to right. the house. Right. And he insisted on doing that because if you're going to kill your demons, you might as well just face them dead on. Right. You might as well just say, come on, motherfucker, let's get it on. This is a sensitive guy. Very sensitive. Really sensitive. I mean, uh, a very sensitive guy. I, don't, I didn't I don't, realize that you went to the actual place. Yes. I've seen that movie and, and, a million and, times. And, and, I, and I want to say this because there's a lot of people out, out there that don't, that hopefully after this will be aware of Richard Pryor more. Well, yeah. And, and and appreciate George Moore. Yeah. These are these are really great men yeah. in in the in the fact that they they did it. Yeah. They didn't sit back and wait for somebody to open the door. Mm -mm. They knocked the fucking door down. Yeah. 
Lenny Bruce knocked the door down. Yeah. And I'm sitting here and you're sitting here and we'll always be grateful for that. Yeah, yeah. And even though there's an element of society that wants to suppress it again, yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. And I think we're, what we're missing in this country right now is nobody's angry. Not at all. And they should be... There's nobody fucking angry. Yeah. There's a lot to be angry. There's a lot of smart people yeah. doing a lot of clever and brilliant work. And you just said a word that I'd be, it's funny. In another uh, conversation we had, a, a, a drummer named Bobby Previtt brought up the following thing. And let me see your take on it. I don't mean to interrupt you. He said, I used to love clever. Now I'm really fucking sick of it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a drummer. No, 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 but spot I spot on. But I, but I understand. Me, yeah, me too. It stopped me in my tracks. I it, was editing. It wasn't me. It was Charlie who said. You that. know, uh, and we're getting blasé. Sarah Palin comes out and says <laughs> the Malaysia plane was stolen by God. Yeah, and and and, and it goes away. Yeah, you know, if Saturday Night Live would have been on would have been a repeat on Saturday. Yeah. If that wouldn't have been the fucking opening of Saturday Night Live, I'd have been disappointed. Yeah, exactly. You blow it up. But see, all right, so I'm <laughs> I'm an angry, vindictive person. I think that she should be beaten up on television with tennis rackets. Like, I'm so sick of this reprehensible douchebag of a woman. No one's angry, and you're, you're, you're 100% right. But comedians aren't angry enough. I mean, the people that, like, the thing, the reason why I would wait months in advance for a Carlin special is I knew that he would warm up and he, he was like a heavyweight boxer. First 15, 20 minutes, work some stuff out, you know, kind of feel everyone out. And once he hit it and it got political or about the, you know, when he said like, you know, we don't have any choice in this fucking country. It's mm -hmm. paper or plastic, mm -hmm. you know, things like that or, you know, whatever. You know. I do love, I want to say this line. I don't know if you worked on this one, but when he goes, you know, he's in Jersey and, he, you know, he says to the cop, you're a public servant. Get me a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> it's, right. you know, just shit like that. But when he took it to a political place right. and when he took it to an environmental place and just yeah. said, it's all fucking bullshit. No one's doing that. Well, it was interesting you bring it up at the Paramount. When we did Jammin' in New York, he did this yeah. whole thing about Mother Nature. Yeah, oh, we're and not And there were some people who were booing. Yeah. And they didn't get it. No. Until the end. Yeah. When he turned it around and says, we're not going, Mother Earth's not going anywhere. We're going far, far away. Oh, he's 100% right. I, and I think, I think when we talk about anger and clever, I, I do hear what you're saying. There's a certain amount of... I think right now we're just too cool. We're also using, you know how people say you're using your powers for evil or good? People are using their powers for them. It's a very greedy, gilded well, a age. Time. Fuck. Yeah, but it doesn't mean it's right. You know, it's, you know, you've got some money and, you know, fuck everybody else. You know? Well, look, I, I think we talked about this earlier. Let's... I have two really terrific young girls in Carly and Donnie. They're the first and only I know young female um, lesbian straight musical comedy act. <laughs> Sounds like a first to me. And they're very and they're best friends and we, we've worked together very hard to get where we are. And I said this to them and I meant it. The day that we get what we deserve <laughs> will probably be more rewarding than anything I've ever done because we started from the ground zero right. together. Nothing. You have to remember when I met Richard and I'm sure they were already stars. Right. I wouldn't be able to help them if I hadn't done that work. Of course, yeah. So this exchange of, of, of experiences that I am able to give them and I see them take it to the level that they want to take to, mm. I think is important for 
Now, a lot of comics say, oh, I'm a big fan of Richards, a big fan of George's, and blah, blah, blah. Robert Klein's a wonderful comedian. David yeah. Brenner just passed a fantastic comedian. Absolutely. I'll tell you one comedian that people never give credit to. Oh, I can't wait to hear who. Rodney Dangerfield. Absolutely. Come on. Yeah. Rodney Dangerfield. Killer. I did a, um, a, uh, a 75th birthday for HBO for his birthday party. And I had to go see him at, uh, at ballets. I'd never seen Rodney in concert. Mm -mm. This guy was on stage for an hour and 15, 20 minutes. One joke after the other. Boom, boom, bang, boom, boom, boom. One joke after the other. Take my wife, please. My wife yeah. is all Boom, boom, boom. And I'm sitting there going, Jesus Christ, this guy's doing a joke every three to five seconds. Yeah. That's a lot. Of, and he said, I know a lot of jokes. Yeah. Well, we just, yeah. we just remember him on The Tonight Show doing seven fun minutes making Johnny laugh. Yeah. Do we realize what that man did in an hour and 15 minutes? He, it's as if you, you know, it's like uh, incredible. Buddy Rich shoved into, you know, it's just like an onslaught in, of... Incredible. Yeah. yeah. No, he's, he's... It's funny. I just watched a thing of him on Johnny just the other day and it was, it was like, you know, a thing on YouTube. There's like a Johnny Carson channel. Unbelievable. I was blown, blown away by... But I think he gets lost in the shuffle because, and, and maybe in a way, Richard gets lost in a little bit of the shuffle because of some of these dumb movies he made, and like, you know, it's just it's a thing that doesn't it doesn't stand the test of time because people know well he was in the movie where he played a soccer coach for a girls team or some dumb thing. You know, everybody everybody eats a shit sandwich. In <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It, it, yeah it, it, you know. Look, you don't. Nobody gets up in the morning and said, you know what, I'm going to do a really bad movie today. <laughs> No. <laughs> I'm going to do the worst goddamn television special ever done. You don't. You have a good intention. So right. Not, there are some people who are more talented than others. Sure, sure, sure. And, and that, that separates the, the, you know, the, yeah. the, the group of people. Well, you, bring, you know, you bring up a good point, though. But you, we're now in times where people avoid the shit sandwich on a level that's unprecedented. In other words, you know, look, great. There are movies that come out and they're bombs. But I, you know, there, there's a, you, you can't. You fail now at something, and I think you're you're you might be done. Like failure is not something like I just don't see tons of. Well, okay, I see tons of failure on other levels, but you know, a Rodney Dangerfield right now making stupid cable movies or whatever. It's just like they he'd get one or two and be they would be over. Like there would be no you know. I just think that the the studios don't you know they don't suffer that kind of. Well, here, let me ask you a question. What have you ever learned from success? Well, I'm speaking to that right now. It, it, you know, it, it's, it's... You had failure before you had success. You have to step on your dick with golf shoes Absolutely. over and over again. Absolutely. To, to, and, and yeah. Hopefully your first piece of ass, mm. you know, was a, was a jump start. Yeah. If you're not better than that down the road, then you're just a bad piece of ass. <laughs> yeah. Right? Absolutely. But the experience of the first one yeah. is incredibly... Uh, mind-boggling because yeah. it's so disorienting you don't know what the hell just happened but yeah. you liked it yeah right exactly. whatever your sexual preference is yeah. you liked it yeah it's like well richard it has been what well, did you do to me right let's do it again exactly but 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 richard always said this if you laughed at something the first time it must be funny uh, yeah and why beat it to death right move on yeah just yeah. it's funny yeah now you can you can overanalyze it and you can nitpick it, but if I said something and you laughed, it's funny. Right. So th that process of work is how we operate on prior. George's process was very, very 
concise and very literal and written to the point where it was every dot, every T was crossed. But his genius... That there's a beauty to that, When he though. went on stage, nobody thought anything right. was written. It was all his thought process, and he was sharing with you okay. what he was thinking. Right. And people used to ask me all the time, how could it not be written? No, I'm sorry. No, but, but, but I'm that telling you. It had to have been written. But people yeah. don't think that way. Really? They, they don't think, they don't. Look, when people go to a movie, mm. what's the credit that they pay least attention to? They're written by. <laughs> yeah, I guess. What the fuck is that all about? <laughs> yeah. I never ended Oh, uh, yeah, all right. Uh, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I still don't know how a movie wins uh, Best Picture without the writer getting Best Screenplay. Yeah. I, I don't it, know it, how that happens. Oh, yeah. You uh, know, so how did that happen? Yeah. But I think a lot of people don't think about comedians right. People watch a Daily Show. They don't They don't even think about it being written. No, you're right. They just or Colbert. Think like, yeah. And, and I have to say, that's one of the only examples right now in television where I, it makes me think of the monumental effort of a thing like show of shows or there's just the, it's the, the writing. level of writing it's, it's writing it's all it's about the writing it's all about the writing it's nothing about nothing else george was a, george to me george wasn't a stand up comedian he was a writer yeah. that performed his material well it's like there's well, a lot of big difference by yeah. the way there's a lot of stand-up comedians that have a lot of jokes yeah if i hear one one more comedian talk about how moving from from washington to la is difficult right, right, right. I, I don't know i don't yeah. i just click yeah. off what's the deal with these peanuts on you know, the plane? Yeah. Um, but you're talking about a, a, a people who an artist who in their body of work you realize that george carlin did 15 hbo specials yeah there is material that will never will never uh, there's a guy named logan heffield who was hired by kelly carlin to screen all these tapes right. of of un, unpublished work of george's boy would i like that game. and i you know and he would also he edited for me uh, the carly and donnie uh, uh, yeah. a real but the, the the point is that you write you write you write you write yeah. and i've been working on a screenplay forever i don't know if i'll ever finish it because every day i get up and it, i don't like this but at some let point, let it go. Yeah, finish it. You have to, yes, finish. Yeah, you have to finish it. Yeah, you know. At yeah. some point, you gotta say, you know, fuck this. Yeah, what are you, Steely Dan? Let yeah. it go. <laughs> let it go. Take fifteen years. Of, yeah, yeah, let it go. Yeah, but it, it's the nature of the beast. You know, when yeah. you write something and and you you release it mm. in other hands, it's not yours anymore. No, it's everybody's. Right. Everybody's to nitpick at. Everybody's to criticize. But yet you can't stay in your own womb because nobody will ever read what you yeah. wrote. Right. You got to give these people tremendous courage. We were at a, a county store picking uh, was called uh, the 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 best new comedian of the year. Right. And there were ten comics. Was this like an HBO thing? No, it was a, a private thing. And then I think okay. HBO did a thing about it. <clears throat> so I, uh, Richard and I were one of the judges. Okay. <clears throat> He puts 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. And I looked at him. He said, they get 10 for going up there. Oh, what a great guy. And I put 10, 10, 10, 10. Yeah. They get 10 for right. going up there. Yeah. And I never that's, forgot that. That's beautiful. That's fucking beautiful. Yeah. 
fuck the judging. Who's gonna fucking judge? Yeah. So. You can, well, I, and it's funny, you know, judging. You, you, we have these, you know, it's just not really related, but uh, Levine threw a great line. He talked about American Idol, and he goes. I don't like amateurs. I don't want to watch it. I don't like amateur doctors. I don't like amateur pilots. No, I, don't want those. I don't give a shit. Go earn your way into this. And yet don't the, win a fucking contest. And yet the know? best part of that show, which was a like a gong show element, <laughs> is when they when Simon and those people still rip across. Ah, uh, yeah. And they took that away. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. And that it, was the show. The, they did do a course correction this year that is actually kind of brilliant. They brought on a fucking musician in Harry Connick who actually says incredible shit to these kids. Okay, that's and great. it is really soulful, and it's and they're, they're, it makes the other judges seem better at what why they're there. Yeah. But you know we're not talking about that. But yeah, there's well failure. You know my my thing is two things. Don't be afraid to fail and lie. You know, if someone calls you for something, hey, you direct this. Yes, I'm there. You know, uh, you know, someone asked me to do a score, and it's like, uh, um, are you good at flamenco? It's my favorite music. I'll be there on Tuesday. You know, and and here's a segue right from flamenco. I'm okay. in, I'm in, I, I, and it relates to George. I'm okay. in, we're in New York, we're in a limousine. Yeah, it's freezing cold, and we're doing uh, we're doing a uh, a run through on a Thursday before the dress rehearsal on the Friday before the Saturday live show in New York. Right. And we're performing at a Catholic school auditorium. Perfect. And there's a picture of, of Christ with thorns around his head. <laughs> and Carlin's picture goes and covers up Christ and the thorns. Yeah. And he goes, because, you know, we had a big problem with Catholicism. Oh, yeah. He said, well, there's poetic justice. <laughs> and, then, and then he says to me, <sighs> you know, I, I, I wrote this down. I don't know if I'll ever use this. Let me run this by you. Oh. I love when he used to do that. He didn't do, it he didn't do it very often. I didn't ask. Yeah. But when he asked, I felt really privileged. Yeah. He said, you know, um, at one time, nobody... This was, this was never on TV. Right. I'll give you a prior that's never on TV. Good. Go. At one time, nobody could play the guitar, <laughs> including the person that invented it. Hey, Marge, look what I made. What is it? I don't know. What does it do? I fucking don't know. <laughs> right? That's fucking Carly. Yeah. We're in the hallway of NBC, and we're blocking the Richard Pryor, one of Richard Pryor shows. Mm. And there was an actor named Billy Barty. Oh, of course, yeah. I, I have to use this word in context, not sure. in disrespect. Go for it. He was a midget. Yes, he was. Okay. And I'm... Facing Richard, and here comes Billy Barty, runs up behind Richard, and he tugs on his jacket, and Richard turns around, and Billy says, Hey, Richie, how you doing? And, and, and Richard says, Hey, Billy, have you bumped into any good pussy lately? <laughs> have you bumped into any good pussy lately? Do you know how fucking brilliant that is? That's, yeah, well, yes, and I it, do. And, and I, said that, <laughs> I, less, I said that less than two seconds. Yeah. For him to get the visual picture... Yeah. And transmit it to you, yeah. In context yeah. of a small person bumping into a girl's oh, pussy, it's, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. So those two defining moments that I was able to experience without, and I'm sharing them with you. Yeah, yeah. And your audience. sharing them with a lot but, of people. But look at these. Yeah. Look how their mind. They see. I know when I'm when I'm working or driving down the street, I, I'm like you. I'm looking for things that make me laugh. I'm yeah. looking for things that I think are absurd. Yeah. Because we live in a absurd society. Yeah. 
I just hope that people go back and look at the body of work that not only that Pryor and Carlin and Bruce and Klein and Lily and everybody has done, but you go back a little further and realize what all those guys did in the Catskills. Yeah. You know, yeah. they invented this shit, man. Yep. Those Absolutely. guys, those borough guys and those guys working those clubs, they invented this shit. Yeah. And, you know, we have to be more aware of where the roots of all this goes back to yeah because it, without knowing it you you know no. how are you going to you know build on it no that's and that's why i mean this that's the heart of why we do this is that you know i mean i listen to more music from the 30s and 40s than i do from right now because i feel like i still don't get that enough you know what i mean and yeah. maybe you know i over romanticize it but it's like you know on the show Two weeks ago, Charlie, my partner, sat down with his 103-year-old grandfather who told him what it was like to collect peach pits for the war effort in World War I so they could be burned down into charcoal for gas masks against mustard gas. I mean, Gosh. you know, so it's like, who the hell gets to hear that kind of thing and, and understand the context of, of seeing Babe Ruth play baseball? Or maybe voting for Al Smith in 1928, you know, in the presidential election, you know. But Just there were some random. people that watched Babe Ruth play baseball and didn't appreciate it. <laughs> so fucking Which is mind-boggling to me. <laughs> How the fuck can you watch Babe Ruth and not appreciate him? Yeah. I don't give yeah. a shit if you're an Indians fan. <laughs> exactly. He's fucking Babe Ruth. I'm a Hank Greenberg guy. Why? Yeah. I'm a Jew. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. He's LeBron James. Yeah. yeah. God damn, man. What is that all about? He could transcend every basketball player of all time. Yeah. And, he has, and I'm from Cleveland. Yeah. And I, and I root for him as an athlete. Yeah. You have to. Yeah, I hope he wins 10 rings. He's fucking spectacular. You know, he screwed me. He left my hometown. Yeah. But you know what? I don't blame him. I left yeah. Cleveland. <laughs> you know, I, I love my city, but I, I'm not going to yeah. go work there. <laughs> There's no reason. Uh, I'm not going to make the, the living I'm making here, but yeah. I, you know what? It's still my hometown. Sure, sure. I am the same way with Philly. I yeah. kind of hate it, but I know that it's good for, yeah. you know, it's, that's some beauty to it. and That's hysterical. But yeah, I mean, you know. You know, if, if, if so, well, let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. We'll wrap it up. It's, it's been an hour. Whatever you need. It's been a brilliant. Tell me, uh, it's funny, you know, you were mentioning, well, maybe not wrap it up, but, you know, there's a, the, the, the great thing in history of the world, Mel Brooks is you know, stand-up philosopher. Yeah. I think of Carlin as a stand-up philosopher. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Um, give me one more Carlin nugget and we can get the fuck out of here. Okay. Uh, whoa, sorry. Maybe that's George. That would be great. Okay. A Carlin, uh, a Carlin nugget? Yeah. I, I spent so much time in that prior thing. I, I mean, I, I, well, don't know, um, I don't know a lot about Carlin. Well, uh, uh, the, the, um, when George used to write an HBO special, he used to overwrite. Okay. And um, I, before I did the show, we did the shows, I would go on tour. Mm-hmm. I would go to two or three cities, and then we'd work out at the Comedy and Magic uh, Club in Hermosa. Okay. Because no, no agents went there and could spy, and, <laughs> right. and we don't like them anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, God. It's all right, man. Don't worry. Anyway. Um, I should turn so Anyway. Okay, so he would write. He wrote, he wrote forever. He, mm. he wrote on everything. 
But what would happen is we'd have, uh, when we first did the HBO specials, the, the mandate was 5830. Okay. All his shows came out to 5830. Is there a numerical significance or a... 5830 was the time that HBO wanted the other minute and a half they could promote upcoming shows. Right. And, okay. I 50, thought maybe it was the, you no. know, there's a Jewish year no. or, you know, some crazy... 5830. All right. Got it. And I'm telling you, from the time he walked on stage and when he said goodnight, 5830. Got it. Fucking show was right. on time. Got it. He used to time it on his... He used to have a stopwatch. Yeah. On a chair and we rehearsed. And he used to... He used to work off of cards mm -hmm. and developing the show. The point was, he wrote an hour and a half uh, the, the the half of that show was probably going to be the first half of the next HBO special. Right, of course. See, All so right. Makes sense. it wasn't wasted. No. It was just moved into... So he's actually writing an additional half hour, new, yeah. but an hour of the stuff that's going to be... Am I making sense? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. And then we'd go on the road and he would hone it. You'd see it'd be 61, 63, 64 minutes. Mm. And then we'd go to Elmira, New York, and it was down to 60 minutes and 30 seconds. And he'd be in the, we'd be in the limo going to the plane, and he'd be scratching it out. And, and he would tell me, this is where I think I'm going to go to here to here. And I would mm. make notes on mm. the beats. Right. Right? Sure. Insurance, life, death, kids, the beats. Right. Then it would get to a point where the night before the, the HBO show, we'd be somewhere. He'd walk off stage and show me his watch and be 5830. <laughs> right? right? You, yeah, he's ready. Right. At that point, I had learned, I had, saw the, I had seen the show so much, I knew it almost by heart. Mm. So that's why I didn't block. Right. He had a lot of funny jokes and a lot of ones that were always, uh, uh, they're, they're you know they're they're timeless. Yeah. But this particular joke one night made me laugh. And, and you're working, and, and you I'm fell working, out. and yeah. I'm uh, and I laughed. Yeah. I was just going to ask you. You know, I worked on SNL for a little while. It got to the point. Listen, not nearly as funny. Yeah. I hate to interrupt, but I worked on SNL. I I would go three days in a row. I wouldn't laugh once. It's work. It's work. You're you know you're saying all right. I'm writing a piece it, of music. It's and, definitely work. But when you did laugh, something actually really funny. So you're you're. I'm saying, in the booth. And we're doing a show. I can't remember what show it's from. And I had heard this 50 times, mm. if I heard it once. <laughs> but he said this joke, and I laughed out loud in the booth. Here's the joke. Hit me. I never fucked a 10, <laughs> but one night I fucked five twos, and that should count for something. <laughs> I fucking roared. I had heard that joke 50 yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard it. Yeah. I don't know why that it's particular just... joke resonated at that particular <laughs> Maybe time. Maybe eight something. As I don't know. <laughs> five twos. I fucked five twos, and that should count for something. Oh, and it does, man. Thank you so much, man, for Pleasure. coming on. Awesome. Rocco Orbisi. My man. Thank you.